You are listening to National Security Law Today. Hi there, listeners. I'm Elisa, and welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. Today, we're going to talk about resources for national security law professionals. So I brought along some friends who happen to be experts at curating and consolidating resources into a single volume that can fit in a laptop case or on a desk without crowding it, at least not too much. And I'm here today with my good friend, Harvey Rishikoff, who has basically been a driving force behind this book. He's also been the chair of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security and a whole lot of other things in national security. He's basically the go-to guy. He's kind of a polymath. So, Harvey, hi. Hello, Elisa. Great to see you and great to be doing this tonight. It's always a pleasure and we don't thank you enough for all the work you do to make this podcast the extraordinary success that it is. But tonight I'm being joined by certain special friends, Adam Perlman and Kay Wakataki, but also the under individual who is not with us tonight is Tia Johnson, who is also instrumental in helping to put to get the source book. But Adam and Kay are both very well-recognized national security lawyers, two of the editors of the most recent edition of our U.S. Intelligence Community Law Sourcebook, which is published by our own and famous standing committee. Adam also is the managing director of Lexpat Global Services, an international law and consultancy firm, and formerly served at the State Department's Senior Advisor for Counterterrorism Legal Policy as an Associate Deputy General Counsel of the Deputy of Defense, and in several roles in the Justice Department, and is a graduate of the National Intelligence University, where he won a distinguished award for his writing. Kay is of counsel at Han Santos and a retired colonel of the United States Army JAG Corps, And Kay is also well-known to all of us. And I want to just thank Kay and Adam for doing an extraordinary, wonderful job with the new edition. Hi, you guys. Hi, Kay. Hi, Adam. We're really glad you're here. Hi, Elisa. Thanks for having us. And thank you, Harvey, for an incredible, incredible introduction. Really appreciate it. Hi, Elisa. Hi, Harvey. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And you do have the absolute coolest name on the podcast right now, Wakatake. I love that. Adam, I know you've been the editor of the source book for several years, so why don't you tell us about its history and what we can expect to see in this eighth edition now that you have taken the reins as editor-in-chief? Sure, Lisa. We started this hat tip to Andrew Breen. It was his brainchild back in 2009, I believe. Harvey gave it the push to get the first edition published, and you know they both have been with it ever since, and Andrew was editor-in-chief for the first seven editions before I took over this past year. It's been quite an adventure to be engaged in this publication over the years and shepherd its evolution. You know, when the first edition came out, I think we printed in 2010, what defined national security law depended on who you talked to. You know, the lawfare blog was just getting off the ground and they were all about counterterrorism detention at the time. That was most of their bread and butter. If you talk to a colleague at the FBI's national security law branch, national security law was FISA. FISA, FISA, FISA all day, every day. If you talk to some of our friends at the agency, it would have dealt with covert action and maybe the legal machinations of maintaining clandestine cover. Not long before that, even understandings of what national security was, even without the law added to it, it was fairly one-dimensional, maybe two-dimensional. It was either spies in, in Moscow or it was military, and that was it. 
we've all seen the understanding of national security and its attendant legal framework evolve significantly since then to include cyber, economic, environmental, even public health dimensions now, especially post-pandemic. And with this book, they can't include it all, but we wanted to be sure to hit the major statutes, regulations, guidelines, you know, the, this source material relevant to the intelligence community specifically, but recognizing the IC's nexus to the broader national security enterprise as a whole and organizing a complex array of authorities in a more accessible way. To do that, instead of presenting them by weight of authority, which was what we had done in the past, the statutes first and then the regs and then other documents, we've really organized them into five macro thematic categories and then broken them down from there just to really make it more accessible, easy to find what you're looking for. And in addition to that, in our first truly shameless cross-promotion, for each chapter, we went ahead and indexed and added corresponding episodes to this podcast so that readers can quickly find more in-depth discussions and analysis that the Standing Committee has produced with other national security experts related to the source material in a given chapter. That's that in a nutshell. Thanks so much for the overview, Adam. And I think that the new organizational structure, I think I'm very curious to see how our readership responds to it, but I think it has a great logic that I think will make life a lot easier. Kay, great to have you as part of the team this year. And I think we're all curious, what drew you to this particular project? And as you use the book over the years, how would you say it's helped you and how you've sort of assisted you in doing your work? Thank you, Harvey. Of course, I was drawn to the project because I had this opportunity to work with brilliant minds, you, of course, but also Andrew, Adam, and Tia. I knew that for me, this would not only be a great chance to help out with the committee to publish something tangible and useful for years, hopefully, but also it would be a great learning experience for me to be able to see how the brilliant minds think, the processes that you go through, how you organize so many different concepts in your mind. So I really gained a lot personally from this project seeing how Adam really took the lead and was just very brilliant serving as the editor-in-chief. Just the feedback from you and Andrew with your years of experience on this. And of course, Tia, just amazing. I have found this book to be a great resource over the years. I'm old-fashioned. I like using paper. I still use a paper planner. I like to highlight and tab things. But the most useful part of the book was being able to take it into classified areas with me. I could take it into the SCIF. I'd have the same resource that I used in my unclassified work and then take it into a classified environment and I'd still have the same resources available. That's not something that you can do if you had all your resources on electrons. Having a hard copy such as this book was useful for me to have seamless transition between a classified and unclassified environment, especially as lawyers, we have to have our resources available. I found the book to be most useful in that sense. That's a really good point. You cannot bring a cell phone into a skiff, but you can bring this book. And that is a practical reason to have it. But let's talk, I mean, obviously this thing has shifted and Adam's pointed out, everybody has their own view of what national security is that's sort of based on the ecosystem in which they're functioning as a lawyer. 
But let's look at the world today. We're in the middle of what is becoming increasingly sort of a global involvement, if you will, in Ukraine. We're seeing sanctions law and the like tested in ways um, it never has before. But what do each of you think are the greatest challenges right now in national security and national security law right now? I'm certainly not an expert. I think there are many other experts even on this call. What I think, you know, as Adam already said, there are multiple threats and each person is working in their little area. Now that I'm retired and working as of counsel in a private law firm, I have more of a broader, I, I keep current on the current events, just kind of as a whole, reading the news There are threats in so many different areas, cyber, public health, supply chain, even the inflation, the economy. But I think what's kind of pressing and what's a threat that kind of touches all those areas is the misinformation that we have. Pick your topic in your specific area that you work. I believe there is misinformation from various sources. Many times they come from our adversaries and it increases the polarization in the country. So I think that hurts our national security. So it's important to get information from trustworthy sources and multiple sources. And, you know, from my vantage point, I mean, how, how do you answer this question without going into tomorrow? Quite literally, listeners' commutes are only so long, even in D.C. But, Elisa, Intel specific-wise, I, I think the increasing challenge is always going to be finding the needles. Some are bigger than they used to be, but they're in disproportionately bigger haystacks in terms of both volume and complexity. And on the legal end of that, it's how the law can enable that and be a force multiplier while still protecting what's left of our classical notions of privacy. Everybody's talking about Ukraine and China, Taiwan, and and speaking as somebody who has spent a lot of time in counterterrorism, you know, not necessarily in GPC world, global power competition world, that's huge. If I can do something rather ill-advised for a moment and put the nuclear weapons question aside, Russia basically is a pain in the rear, right? They've got a big military, unmatched geographic footprint, and support of cyber and other organized criminal activity that caused individuals a lot of pain and money. But nationally, they're a small economy and they're kind of more akin to a public nuisance on an international scale unless they win. And anyone leery of how much we should be supporting Ukraine in this fight, I'd ask them to, you know, to imagine what what would the world be like if Russia went? The China-Taiwan question requires leveraging of all instruments of national power, but also mitigating our consumer-driven economic codependence on cheap consumer goods that are subsidized by an array of human rights violations. You know, I say that with a big caveat. Don't take your eyes off the terrorism threat. Realizing that investing in robust counterterrorism these days is about as appealing as paying insurance premiums. A, it remains, as it always has, a matter of not if, but when. B, we all know that over the last year, especially, we've allowed a safe haven to crop up again in Afghanistan. And and see, the bad guys don't rest just because we're off on another fight. You know, they don't have infinite cunning. They don't have infinite resources, but they're opportunists. And our focus is justifiably elsewhere. So don't be surprised if they take advantage of that. And finally, Kay certainly noted the current domestic political situation and policy zeal that that is kind of a virtual arms race to show how tough we are internally to each other. 
that also shows off front and center our divisions to our competitors and our enemies. A house divided can't stand. And when we have done great things, whether it's land on the moon or, or one world wars, we did them as a country. There's my filibuster. It's a pretty good filibuster. I will say, I think you're both at the end of the day pointing out something really important, which is the absence of a current lingua franca. I think in years past, you know, we had things like the evening news and everybody's watching the same thing and there was a, a shared sense of information. And now it's just there, you know, it does make you wonder if there are people who should just not be permitted to access social media because they can't process it. And as soon as you think that's a, a person of a certain IQ, you begin to realize it's actually all of us. I agree, Kay, I'm with you. Let's wrap it up though. Uh, yeah. Let me ask yeah. you this. Let me just quickly say that one of the biggest challenges to get through the book is the fact that it's now 926 pages. And if you go through the book quickly, the sections are speeches and statements, which I think we all have to see of major leaders in the community assessments and strategy documents, which are continuing to proliferate, the legal and administrative authorities, which we all need, the signals, intelligence, and surveillance, specifically issues of military, cybersecurity, information security, information sharing, oversight and attorney general guidelines are the documents in the book, which shows the breadth of the sense of what we need to have to national national security law. And I just will end and want to thank everyone, but Holly would be remiss if we didn't tell everyone that they can get the book at the website, which is www.americanbar.organization backward slash Nat Security. But also, if you keep on listening to the podcast to the end, Kay will give you the actual code, which will give you a 25% off the price of this particular book. So I think I encourage you to keep on listening because Kay has the magic code that will actually provide you with a 25% discount. And with that, I will sort of sign off, but thank everyone for their thoughts. Harvey, thanks for being here. We're really glad to see you. So let's get right to the exact URL that uh, listeners can use to get the book. Kate, do you want to give that? You can go to www.americanbar.org slash Nat Security and plug in the code for a 25% off the sticker price of $149.95. So you can get 25% off by using the code ICLS25. All right. And remember, don't forget, you can take it in a skiff. Big selling point. I really appreciate you guys coming in. And before I ask you for final thoughts, let me just say shout out to Tia Johnson who was suffering through the Senate confirmation process right now, which is about as fun as getting a root canal. But we're, we're thinking of her and she's an amazing firebrand filled with energy and we hope it all goes well. Yes, Tia is so smart. Best wishes to her. I know she will be excellent on the bench. But I also want to say we're very proud of this book and I know Tia feels the same way. We put a lot of hours into this Zoom calls. So many of us were in different time zones, different countries, <laughs> continents. We're really proud of it. I'm so proud to have worked with Adam. He's really the main heart and soul of this book. But we're also truly grateful for the endorsements by four former assistant attorneys general for national security, which underscores the usefulness of the source book. And I think every intelligence law practitioner should have a copy of this. It's so important and very useful. 
Adam, is there anything you'd like to add? I really appreciate the committee's support on this. Kay's great work. Tia was amazing with what she did also. And we, of course, wish her well. We also had a couple of volunteer research assistants, both Georgetown Law students and, and an intern of mine. You know, the way that we teed up this edition, we really wanted to make it so that it could be used by a wide variety of people certainly is primary source material for practitioners, as Kay was, and, and along those lines about bringing into classified conference rooms and whatnot. And in addition to legal practitioners, academics who are interested in national security. I mean, we talk so much these days about civics education. And a point that I made earlier was trying to bring clarity to this material and organization. And that's the accessibility point because national security in the United States is such a large and complex enterprise that it's really hard to navigate. And one of the points of this book is to try to help that. It is also a subtle reminder of that concept of all elements of national power that I alluded to specifically with respect to China earlier. Again, how broad this is and how U.S. national security is both empowered by and restricted by the law. It really is a fundamental illustration of how the rule of law works in our country. Certainly policymakers, too, across between the practitioners and academic side, those who are just looking for insights into an important aspect of governance, and again, rule of law in the United States. It's a great resource to lay bare the U.S. framework that balances our national security or public safety, accountability, and civil liberties. And the endorsements that Kay had mentioned earlier were really flattering for Assistant Attorneys General for the National Security Division, in addition to Sean Bellinger, and also General Michael Hayden, as former director of both NSA and CIA. And I'm just going to close with quoting him because I can't summarize it uh, any better. He says, I've often noted that the U.S. intelligence community has more lawyers than some of our foreign counterparts have intelligence officers. This thorough overhaul of the source book provides those lawyers with the most authoritative, comprehensive, and up-to-date compendium of U.S. law on intelligence ever. Mastery of this legal landscape ensures that men and women of the IC operate consistent with our U.S. Constitution and shared values while using the full authorities granted under the law to protect the nation. I commend this volume to anyone needing to understand the full complexity of the law. That's great. It's been really lovely to have you on. I really thank you both for doing this work. I know we'll start seeing those books around in, in law offices in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. And I thank you for coming on the podcast tonight. It's been great to have you both. I hope you'll come back and do another one with me. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in tonight to NSLT. You, know, you could share this episode with a friend and you can certainly discuss some of the national security issues that we've discussed over a coffee. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and any listening app of your choice. Uh, you can also send us feedback and we welcome that. You can do it through Twitter at ABA NATSEC. At least now you can. I don't know that Elon Musk is going to complete his purchase and that will change, but for now you can. So do. You can also send us an email and the email address is nationalsecurity at americanbar.org. And just remember the Standing Committee on Law and National Security will do whatever it can to keep you informed and give you context on fast moving developments in national security events and the law. And don't forget the lawyers hosting and appearing on this podcast are doing so in their individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or firm. Thanks for listening and be well. 
The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association, and this recording should not be construed as representing ABA policy.